And the time is 3 p.m. Stay tuned next for Jennifer Stone and Stone's Throw. Happy ending, nice and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday. Happy endings are the rule. So divide up those in darkness from the ones who walk in light. Light them up, boys. There's your picture. Drop the shadow. This is Jennifer Stone with a reading from my memoir, Telegraph Avenue, then first published, oh, long ago in 1977. Sand. Vista Point at Mendocino is the extreme west point of California. Read the sign there by the sea. Raw sewage, this beach quarantined. I've gone about as far as I can go amidst the garbage and the flowers. And she is standing on the shore in my long black cape, costume in the wind. Back to the sea with thee, love. There she was, and I saw her, Typhoid Mary, in beads. September 1972, Hebrew legend. Lilith chose to leave Adam and live alone by the Red Sea. She found peace there on the hard rock sand lining the deep blue gulf of Aqaba, making love with satyrs, minotaurs, and centaurs. (laughs) I'm reading about Lilith, Adam's first woman. There are so many interpretations I feel free to see it my way. Some say Lilith was Adam's first wife, or mistress, or companion, created equal with him, both of them made by God out of the dust of the earth, or of red clay. Seems they had irreconcilable differences, and she split with her demon children. Custody is destiny, whatever. She left him to Eve, who could melt into him, be part of him, because Eve was made of his flesh. Or of blonde apples or something, so Lilith 
is the dark earth woman who lives alone at the edge of town, like the village witch. Oh, I remember now, she is the village witch. It was not Adam, my love. All these autumns, I waited for her. For Lilith to come home in the night and watch the storm with me. Together we waited for the winter foam to blow through the sea caves. The men I loved, I loved alone. That was in the spring, I think, when I needed the children. I remember how it was then, how I raved and wrung my hands and tried to explain myself, and he said I was mad, and so I was. So I loved as I was told to love, and he said how it should be, and so it was for him. Then autumn came, and understanding it was not man then who gave me life. I looked beyond the houses and the money and the sex life. The sex life. Lilith's children were born to me in the darkness. I knew my mother and kept silent. All Hallows' Eve, 1972, the closer I get to 40, the more I studied the Dark Ones. Lilith, demon mother, goddess, dark lady, literary cliché, scapegoat, the death witch. Lilith is the dark night of woman places, the womb-tomb out of which we came into the light. Simon listens to my thoughts and sits singing. A womb with a view and you. He should care. He's found an Eve. He sits on the grass with a grilled cheese blonde who is all sunlight and smiles. There she is. His immortality. For her, he piles up stones and pyramids and volumes of what he calls thought and blood and gold and gods by the dozen. All this so she'll create him anew. Lilith, like Adam, is out on a limb. They're single. They're made of the same stuff, those two, and like Adam, she is alone. Unnatural for a woman, men say thus. The strange one, the sorceress, the shrew, the bitch, the seductress, the pariah. I bump into Lilith from time to time. Last time I saw her, she came to a coffeehouse poetry reading. She rubbed 
the wrong thing behind her ears. She tied herself to a crucifix with knots, knotted sanitary napkins. Ropes, they were. She called this a feminist protest. Her eyes were dark, heavy like those of Sappho. Her heavy lids closed, and she smiled as each poet threw a stone until she fell. Winter 1972, lines from the Greek poet Sappho. O dream with black wings, mayest thou come when sleep brings forgetfulness. (laughs) Yeah, it's an old dream. Sea lace caught around his throat, the blackish fronds resembling cords across his chest as he drowns silently in underwater slow motion, sinking below the reef at the cove. I call it my little mermaid dream, I tell people I saw a boy drown when I was ten. Actually, I only saw the dead body on the sand. Dreaming, he comes to me in stillness and holds my legs as if we were in water. I reach out for his hand the way I almost did once before. And then... I hold him as I have always wanted to hold him, in reconciliation without desire. There is swimming in twilight on the crest of the wave, and then sitting quietly on the sand in the dark, watching the lights go on in the town. When he sees the lights, the dream cracks and becomes verbal. He has an appointment in San Francisco. We say the usual things in our old ritual. He decides not to use my phone. There's no point asking him why. This right of remembering ruins the dream. I wake up. It's better to remember the good stuff. Once he touched a bracelet on the dresser, picking it up as if it were a lock of hair. Once he stepped on a kitten in the darkness of the hall and he was angry really angry with me for not remembering to put it back in the box. And those times he said he loved me with as much conviction as doubt. I wish I could remember the end of the dream. Who is it said existentialists never finish their books? Being is too much with us. 
We can't finish until we know the end. Death is the end of knowing. He's been gone a year now. He was not an existentialist. He was not even a swimmer. Last time I saw him, I stood on my front porch and shut the door behind me so the children wouldn't hear, and I cried into his shoulder while he tried to sort of pat me. I remember I was quite upset. I made such a scene he was caught off guard, and he handled me as if I were a slightly sandy, wet puppy he didn't want in his lap. December 1972. Ah. A text of Hiroshima Mon Amour, filmed by Marguerite Duras from uh, Alan Renee's movie Grove Press, 1961. Restez en Hiroshima avec moi. You saw nothing in Hiroshima. Nothing, he says. She. Nothing, just as in love, this illusion exists. This illusion of being able never to forget. So I was under the illusion that I would never forget Hiroshima. Just as in love. I am seated alone in a chair by the sea. The colors are slate or navy gray. The sea is full of floating debris, broken planes, shells of ships, Dunkirk, desolation, wreckage, all drifting so quietly rising and falling with the swell of the waves, like the kelp on storm mornings. This continues and stretches to the horizon. It is almost dawn, but the darkness will remain. Now... He comes to get me there. I'm wearing only my navy trench coat over my skin, as I used to do when we played at clandestine liaison love before the war. As I begin to unbutton my coat, the top button crumbles, breaks off in my hand, and when I try to pick it there's nothing but seaweed on the sand and some little dead crabs by my bare feet. The road is sand here. There is another road of rock, then one of dirt. These roads lead from the beach up the cliffs. I take the one at the more acute angle, away from the tire tracks. A miniature broken stag is along the path to the Tokyo Honeymoon Hotel. 
The little stag is dying. He looks at me and I see him. This is the child's feeling when the china doll breaks. Even the pieces are kept in a box. The little stag is made of a magic porcelain. Seems engraved with an antique Asiatic pattern, which seems to be a language. January 1973. I go for a drive with a new male. His name is Oscar. He's been passed on to me through an old friend, so I can't be rude. I am not anxious to begin a new liaison. I have enough to do as it is. My primal attachment is grim but steady. Secondary attachments have fallen into place. A New Yorker who flies into town with paternal presence. A youthful beauty who imagines he's the picture of Dorian Gray. He comes back to me after his ritual debauches, saying he simply has no respect for any other woman. <laughs> Each one is a poem. Oscar appears to be a zero, but I decide to look him over. We visit the dead in the hills of Oakland. My mother's best friend's last lover is buried here near a willow tree. His tombstone is engraved. Fall leaves and graceful bee. Farewell, then, I follow thee. I show the grave to Oscar and tell him all about my mother's best friend and how she met her last lover on the pier at Aptos by the sea. Oscar's not listening. He murmurs that our mutual friend has told him a lot about me and what she has told him makes him feel we should get to know each other. He says he hopes we will fill each other's deepest needs, and he just loves this graveyard. I tell Oscar, yes, the graveyard is very beautiful, and I'm grateful to him for bringing me here to see it. Oscar tells me about his therapy program. Before therapy, he was afraid of his own shadow. Appraised therapy. He doesn't even cast a shadow. Oscar is very proud of what he calls the Appian Way, a road of very exclusive tombs done in mock Roman or pagan styles with pretentious statues and columns. Mausoleums stand with chained, rusted gates where the dead are locked in. At the end of this road is a toy pyramid, big as a house. A woman's last resting place. 
Oh, did she buy this for herself? No. No, it is dedicated to a beloved wife with eternal devotion. Yes, her husband has laid her to rest in a mummy's tomb, and there's no way of knowing if she asked for it. Uh, what, what would make a man do a thing like that, I ask Oscar. He tells me if a man truly loves a woman, there is nothing he will not do for her. We walk to the older overgrown section of the graveyard. It is in deep shade. I feel as if I'm walking through a southern gothic novel. Stone lambs mark the graves of children. Gertrude Kiekenveldt, aged 11, died 1881. Sarah, wife of Thomas, lies among five of her children, all gone to feed the roses. Stone slabs are engraved, lambs of our Lord. Some of these graves are still visited, shreds of wreaths and weathered urns rest on the stones, libations, Sacrifices here, everywhere, the pagan and the Christian, always there are stones. Souls are in the stones. Engravings on the older tombs of Sarah's children are formal. William James II, William Paul, then our Jonathan and little Polly, and finally just Eddie, aged 11 months. Oh, Sarah, wife of, did you make these redundant, decaying fences round the graves? Did you watch beside a bedroom fireplace in a room with high ceilings, candles lit for prayers? Were you ashamed to sleep? All those children gone to gardens in the night. Leaves are deep. Time is silent here. I could be quiet here. I could rest in this great stillness if only Oscar would stop talking. Ah, the ratio of abortions to live births in the United States, so on. Oscar, did you know that Charlotte Bronte died of pregnancy? Indeed, no, she died of tuberculosis or phthisis, as it was called in those days. Yes, indeed, of course, but don't you see the presence of the fetus, the parasite, that brought about the consummation of consumption, what is called galloping consumption, and finished her off? Well, 
The thing is, she didn't die of pregnancy, but of TB. Ah, finally, Oscar goes on to say he's not interested in literature so much as he's interested in architecture. That is the reason why he brought me here to this graveyard in order to show me the architecture and explain it to me. Sarah has been dead for 70 years. In the stillness, these graves at my feet are gray and alone. Ashes of flowers drift around these little cairns. Wild grasses and tangled vines smother the mother's grave. Did she love them more because they died, these babies? Did she dream of the pill or use a vinegar sponge? Do I pity her or envy her? Walking through these dark trees out of the valley of the shadow... We come to a hill with high-rise graves, stacked like moldy memos the freshly forgotten dead lie in filing cabinets to the sky. Pulley ropes run up and down so flowers can be set before the drawers. Plastic roses twine about the handles. I remark to Oscar that I intend to give my mortal luggage to a medical school. He tells me a thing like that would sicken my children, and those who love me could be, I don't know, and if I'm buried, well, could be, then someone will be remembering I'm molding away each year. That's what I remember when I think of my own dead What's left of mother after 30 years, perhaps the mass of bronze gold hair that grows now on my tallest son? Perhaps not. Oscar shows me an effigy of two lovers with their hands clasped about each other's necks. You've been listening to the voice of Jennifer Stone, reading from her memoir, Telegraph Avenue, Then. You can listen to all the chapters in our archives online at kpfa.org. Happy ending, nice and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money. Every Friday, happy endings are the rule. So divide up those in darkness from the ones who walk in light. Light them up, boys. There's your picture. Drop the shadows 
Italy's Children's Alliance presents the documentary Imprisoning a Generation, which follows the stories of four young Palestinians who've been imprisoned under the Israeli military system. Imprisoning a Generation will be shown on Thursday, November 29th, 7 p.m. at Berkeley City College Auditorium, 2050 Center Street, as a benefit for the Middle East Children's Alliance. Afterwards, Mecca director Ziad Abbas Shamrush and film director Zelda Edmonds will give updates and take questions. November 29th is also the International Day of Solidarity with the Palestinian people. This event is wheelchair accessible. For info, call 510-548-0542 or meccaforpeace.org. Why should the black man in America uh, concern himself since we've been away from the African continent for 400 years, three or 400 years? Why should we concern ourselves? What impact does what happened to them have upon us? For news, information, and analysis about Africa and the African diaspora, tune in weekly on Mondays at 7 p.m. to Africa Today with your host, Walter Turner. Africa Today is your source for being up to date on Africa and African. Mondays at 7 p.m., Africa Today on your Pacifica radio station, KPFA 94.1 FM. And you are listening.